0: Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Ed Rudesel, and uh, today I've got a special guest joining us from New York uh, via France. Uh, we've got Sullivan Doe from uh, Du say Cognac, and, uh, well, a lot of other real cool history that we're going to get into. So welcome to the show, man. How are you?
1: Ed, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing fantastic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good to hear, because it's it's stretched thin. Everybody's stretched very thin. So it's, uh, it's good to see a, a smile on your face and, you know, Things are starting to stabilize a little bit, I guess. But, you know, we were just chatting a little bit before the show about, uh, you know, just kind of still not over the hump, especially in New York and uh, with the restrictions. It's tough. It's tough. All your neighbors pay a lot in rent. <laughs>
1: you know? Yeah, that's true. But the things like by the end of the week, we're going to have like 100% uh, capacity in the bus. So I guess it's going to be great for the end of spring and the beginning of summer. So I'm looking forward to a great summer. After, yeah. like, we, we missed last summer. So, you know, we need, we need to, to come like two times more.
0: Right, exactly. We have to catch up. Well, you know, I was just—I uh, was listening to a couple of interviews and stuff with you from the past. You have had a uh, pretty interesting career trajectory, and and I know that that's kind of been covered a bit ad nauseum. But you know, you've kind of gone a little bit in a different track than uh, than most people in the uh, bar and restaurant industry, which is you know you kind of went from serving and worked to the bar, owned your own bar, and then left it all and became a brand ambassador. Which anyway, there's been an owner out there that's the dream right? just get the hell out especially now but, but you know uh, all kidding aside i mean it, it isn't kind of an interesting path that you've taken and um you couldn't have timed that better uh, you know to to step away as an owner
1: yeah you know the funny thing is like i feel that i ticked all the boxes of like when you come into hospitality because i started in the hospitality when i was like 18 19 as a waiter in fine dining restaurants and made my way up to uh, becoming a floor manager in a fine dining in London. And that's where I discovered bartending. And so from bartending, I, mean, so I decided to become, when I went back to France, I decided to, to turn myself into a bartender. Because when I was waiting at table, I loved taking care of my customer, taking care of my guests, and I've making sure that they have an amazing experience. But I was missing creativity. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing is, like, I did ask myself, should I go to the kitchen and then start like learning how to cook? Because I love to cook as well. But because I had this uh, interaction with my customer, I was like, I cannot put myself in the kitchen and, uh, and losing this interaction. So I found out in London that bartending basically was the right in-between. You use the creativity because you make drinks and then you still entertain your customer and have like, mm-hmm. a, 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 a still exchange. Because that's what I love at the end of the day is like communicating with people, exchanging with people and sharing stories and just like connecting. So, so yeah, so from like waiter, to became bartender, And then the first dream as a bartender is to have your own bar. So after after working for, as a bartender for about like five, six years, I decided to open my own bar, which is the syndica Mm. in Paris. And, uh, but the whole idea of like opening syndica is because at the beginning is my love for cognac. So imagine I had to be in in London to discover cognac. That's where I fell in love with (laughs) cognac because I worked in a in a in a restaurant where the head bartenders. Once I went for dinner, pour me like a massive glass of cognac, and that's the first time. So I was like 20 something at the, at the beginning of my 20s, and uh, at this time, you drink anything, right? Uh, yeah, and uh, and I was like getting into, interested into wine, but then when I had this glass of cognac, that's the first time that I really appreciate uh, an alcohol. Like I mean, I, I mm. really understand, not really understand, but I dive into it, and like started to say, okay, I like this, instead of like just drinking. It's like, right. okay, I like this. And so I turned myself into a bartender with this love for cognac on the back of my head, and I make sure always to have like a cognac cocktail on the menu, because that's something that I, I found out in bars, there was a lack of cognac. And uh, oh, sure. in 2014, I got the opportunity to uh, meet um, uh, my business partner, the guy who became my business partner, and we decided to open uh, the first cocktail bar using only French alcohol. Because like with my love for cognac, I I discovered the diversity we have in France and just like pushing all the other spirits.
0: Yeah, that's wild that you say, you know, you discovered that at a young age because some of the spirits that I um, am most interested in now were things that we, uh, myself and my best friend, pivoted towards at a very young age because they weren't the trendy drinks. You know, so we actually drank a lot of uh, neat cognac and we drank a lot of gin because as, you know, 19-year-olds, People would come over and like, "Hey, do you have any vodka? Do you have any whiskey?" And we're like, "No, we just have cognac." And they say, "Oh, never mind. I'll, I'll just go get some beer." And you're like, Has, oh, wow. "No, nobody's drinking our booze." But you know, as we got older, um, you know, you started to kind of appreciate it, and we had a little bit of a head start, you know, and having kind of a baseline. Of, I wouldn't say we were sitting around tasting; mm-hmm. you know, we were writing notes. But you, know, you know, it, I, you. I find it interesting that you say you had to go to London to learn about French spirits. Um, Because, uh, well, you know, I find that that's kind of the assumption that, you know, uh, if you're American, you're like, automatically know about bourbon. If you're like Mexican, you're gonna automatically know about agave spirits. And I mean, you're saying, you know, you were 19 years old, didn't really know much about it. I mean, obviously there's a huge wine culture as well. Mm -hmm. um, that definitely overshadows spirit production, I think worldwide, probably. Um, Perhaps with the exception of rum in the Caribbean and not not too many grapes growing in the Caribbean. (laughs) <laughs> so not cool. anything worth making wine anyway. Um, so how did that kind of uh, you said you, you got it sampled, but you came back to to open a bar that was dedicated towards French spirits, and that was Les Indica, which is a, a little known bar, no one's ever heard of it. I'm sure you know. Um, anybody listening to this show, I'm sure has. Uh, but how did that kind of translate to your guests? Were they in the same situation when they were stepping through the doors? Were they like it was a complete educational and learning experience? that you were kind of curating for them?
1: Oh, it was, definitely. Because the thing is, like, when you go in any... That was, like, in the heart of uh, the cocktail boom in Paris, right? So as bartenders, you always look, like, for the niche uh, product to present. You want to present something that your customer doesn't know. And, um, And I was already bartending for, like, a few years, so I knew, like, kind of all those spirits, but I was like, yeah, I want to present definitely something that they know, but they don't know. And all the French spirits. is like nobody knows about it. We know, but we don't know. And in France, again, 97, 98% of the Cognac production is exported, mostly to the US. Oh, really? So in France, we don't even drink our booze. So that was the same thing I wanted to do with syndica. So the uh, you said
0: all of the spirits now you're fighting everything across the board that's fascinating and so how did that affect your relationships with the producers uh you know it's not a giant country you can you can travel out and meet everybody and in all your <laughs> that, free time that, that, you get your hour off over every week but you know uh, did that uh, kind of ingratiate you towards all those other producers out there
1: that that, that was the, i would say like the key of uh, this concept that actually I shared, like I did like a lot of seminars across the planet to to invite people to work with local ingredients because the thing is that you can easily take your car and go and meet the producer. So if you go in syndica when I was there, at least 70% of the, the booth that I was back bar, I met the producer personally. Wow, that's amazing. And so, and so if the product is here, it's because I enjoyed the, the philosophy of the brand, the liquid by itself, and stories that I could share with my staff and with my consumers. So the idea is always like, I want my consumer to have a good time, but if I can add a bit of education in it and so they leave learning something, I think that's that's a win-win-win. I mean, like, that's how you provide, like, a an above a experience.
0: Well, I found a lot, you know, especially in the beginning of, like, the building of a craft cocktail scene, you know, everybody wants to be everything and to kind of be this hyper niche, you know, uh, mm-hmm. bar, and especially that that you're kind of educating your, you know, fellow countrymen and, and and locals about something that's right under their noses you know did that inspire them to you know really go down the rabbit hole and, and learn more about you know the the, the french spirits and, and look more deeply
1: well the thing is like we syndicats, so we put ourselves as like the leading like i mean like we were the only one like bar like when it comes to french alcohol so many bartenders sure. yeah. when i was about to open the bar many of my friends were like okay But you open a bar with a French alcohol on it, but you won't be able to use tequila. You won't be able to use a bourbon or this and that. I'm like, yeah, but I'm going to use that and this and that that you don't use. And I'm going to just like create. Basically, which is for me, like I'm going to go back to Juicet later on because the the idea is like, that's why I linked with Juicet. It's because my mission for Syndica was to take the traditional spirits, the dusty bottles that nobody used and Mm -hmm. bring them back to modernity and to the way we drink today. Which is basically what Douce does, because creating at the Chateau the the cognac, where we have like two hundred years of experience to create a modern expression of cognac. So, we're going to dive into uh, the product, I guess, uh, in a, in a few minutes. But uh, yeah, so that's that's that was my own mission was like to just undust those bottles, and uh, and to bring them back to to to, to life. So my guests. My staff, because I was educating myself as well through that, I was taking them on my trips to uh, the producers so they can actually like carry the message even better than me giving it to them. And like all the fellow bartenders that was coming, like they were coming to NBA and they didn't know any bottle of the backbone, which is something impressive wow. for like I mean, like you cannot really amazed that bartenders like that. So every time that bartender was coming, like French bartender, aspiration bottom, and like even like worldwide button, especially worldwide buttoner coming to uh to the bar sitting at the bar and look at the back bar like i don't know anything of those oh Mm -hmm. yeah i know this product or this product but like i would say they would know like 20 percent of the back bar which is which is not that much
0: certainly the work that you've done and and a lot of other uh parisian bartenders and bar owners have done is starting now to carry over to the everyone else as you see in new york you can walk in and you can find amazing cognacs on the back bar and even the most uh kind of out of the way corner of the city or, or even the country sometimes. And, you know, you talked about, you know, doing that because you wanted to help educate people and spread the word about something that you were passionate about. Um, what's fascinating is that you're actually like a a, a certified cognac educator now. I mean, you actually have a paperwork that shows you're really good at dealing with the public and teaching them, uh, about this particular spirit. And, um, you know, it, it's a really interesting time, I think, to be in that situation because we've definitely seen a shift from the way that uh, people perceive cognac. Um, you know, it's traditionally, especially, you know, Americans, but, you know, I know that, you know, in England as well and across Europe, it's been an old man's drink, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I talked to producer of Eau de Vie uh, a couple years ago, and they said, you know, that, that their grandfather was, the, you know, just – was shocked that anybody would put it into a cocktail just you know dismayed that you're bastardizing this this spirit and you know but things are shifting now uh, and like i said in large part um to people like you that are working with brands like to say where it's you know it works really well in a cocktail there is precedence it just kind of got left out and forgotten
1: but that's what i love because like when when you think about um uh Cognac. Cognac has been around for the like 300 years almost mm-hmm. four. And uh, and so many houses will like create like the the house style, and keep on this legacy. And um, the, the 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 what I love with say is that having already like I don't know if you're familiar with the the story of like the Chateau de Cognac, so it's like a castle within the city of Cognac. And uh, and this is basically that what helped us to create the the, the profile that is to say because of the TPC of the different sellers we have. Mm-hmm. And um, and so the seller master that was already making another cognac from Bacardi that's called Baronta, and available in the US, um, got the opportunity in 2012 to create a new cognac, which is something really uh, rare when you in a master in a seller master life, because most of the time you're the keeper of the time. So you come learn the, the house profile, and then you give back this knowledge to the next. Cellar master. Mm-hmm. So having the ability to create a whole new brand and a whole new liquid, because the things like at the Chateau de you got Baron Autard and Ducé. But if you take the Baronta VSOP and the Ducé VSOP, they don't taste the same. Right. No, The edge, like all the Eau de Vie are aged in the cellar, but the way Michel, the Michel Casavec and the Cellar Master blend the Eau de Vie, it creates two different, two distinct uh, profiles. And Ducé has been created for like the modern way of drinking. So to shine through cocktail. So you it know, is made like for to taste by itself and shine through cocktails. So yeah, the versatility of Cognac, I totally agree with you. I think that's an, an important point. And, and this is,
0: I think, a spirit that is intimidating to a lot of people because it is perceived as kind of this old school, old man's drink. And like you said, these, these flavor profiles don't change, you know, 300 years. And there's very, very small changes over the course of time. Um, you know, as you are out there educating people, do you get these questions? Like, I think some of the confusion comes from, you know, how do these different flavor profiles come about? Is it all happening in the cellar? Is it happening in fermentation, distillation, um, the different kinds of stills? I mean, you know, obviously all of those things, uh, I'm just setting you up for a question here. Like, we know this, but, you know, all those things play into it. And and so um, when you are... From, starting from scratch, you know, like you said, you're developing a brand new product, and that is a very rare uh, kind of opportunity, especially in Grand Champagne, uh, to be able to do something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, What are the um, areas where you first start kind of thinking about uh, tweaking, making adjustments to create that flavor, flavor profile?
1: To, to be honest, I believe it's all the work of the Seller Master. So it's, sure. it's everything, the magic happened at the blending, the aging and the blending. So because, like, the grapes going to come from the same region, the wine's going to be made, like, the same way, depending on, like, the, the different terroirs and then the distillation. Mm. When it comes to the distillation, it's, like, some, like, uh, small, um, how would you say that? Uh, it's, like, Michel, the seller master, will go to the, to the distiller and will tell him exactly how he wants the wine to be distilled this year, like, mm. regarding the harvest and all of this. But, like, mostly to, 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 to work on, like, a flavor profile, it comes at the stage of, like, aging and blending. Like for, for, do you say having the, the typicity of having like two different cellar, we've got a dry cellar and a humid cellar allow us like a, a large panel of uh, possibilities when it comes to, uh, to blending Odevis. So yeah, it's I would say like, because it's more about like, you're going to put like X percent of this four-year-old and X percent of this six-year-old and this will create the flavor profile rather than the Odevis at the, at the day. Well, of course, the Odevis is super important like for, for Ducey, we, we work with uh, Grand and Petit Champagne to get like the fineness and the elegance of the, the Eau de Vie and uh, Finbois and Bonbois to get the freshness and those like Eau de that age like faster. So it's a blend of all those regions that create the profile. So yeah, I would say like the, the blend and the aging are the key to create a new profile.
0: I know that there's been, uh, I don't want to say controversy, but there's definitely been some strong opinions in the past, particularly with uh, newer producers that are not kind of walking the line of traditional production when it comes to traditional French spirits or Spanish spirits. And, uh, you know, it can kind of be not received so well with some of the kind of traditionalists, you know, mm. uh, it has to be done this way every time or it's not the real thing. And, you know, we've seen that uh, in in tons of categories uh, and, and lots of different spirits. So uh, how do you see the reception of, of say? How's it coming across, you know, Perception, worse. And I know this is a, a spirit that's, you know, kind of targeted to the United States or this brand, but I mean, obviously, you're producing for the world. And so, are there, do you see any pushback at all? Like, well, I, I, I don't know. You guys are doing new stuff and it's for a cocktail.
1: No, honestly, I mean, like, the thing is that cognac is like, is the most, if not, is the one of the, not the most highly uh, regulated spirit category. Mm. So, even if you want to go and do like some funky things on the cognac, if you want to keep the label cognac, you have to stay within right. the rules. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't allow you to do that many things out of it. So the is as soon as you do something else, something out of the rules, you lose the, the appellation. So you can mm-hmm. call your product like Audeville, but it won't be able to, it won't be named cognac. Then the thing is like you say, it's a young brand, but as of today, uh, it has been like really, really well received in the United States. Uh, it has been designed for the United States and uh, with like a global vision and uh, we want to, to be everywhere at one point for sure. But um, but yeah, I mean, like this brand has been created in 2012, which is really young in the Cognac sphere. Okay. Oh, but, yeah. uh, but as of today, uh, do you say VSO. so the whole Cognac category is growing like apparently like uh, 2020 was like 62% of uh, growth in wow. terms of sales for the whole category. And Ducey VSOP only is 109% uh, sales. So we, we are completely like um, exploding. It's a fantastic year for Ducey. So I would say it's really well received. Yeah, no
0: kidding. Are, are you seeing that? Uh, well, if you're seeing growth in 2020, that would say to me that you're probably uh, getting those sales through uh, packaged liquor and off-premise. Off premise, uh, yeah. Because everybody was off premise in 2020. No one was at work at all. But uh, are you seeing how's the growth uh, sector or the growth in the uh, like bartending sector? Are you, because, like I said at the top of the show, we're starting to see a lot more uh, availability of of spirits. You know, with globalization, things that we have on our back bar now that we could have never had 50 years ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, like the thing is, like now we. Bartenders are more aware about what's happening everywhere in the world. So they really want to have like the those key products in their bar just to make the difference because mm-hmm. some bottles, like I mean, like I used to the say bottle, something that you can easily spot in a bar in a, in a second. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I used to be bartender. I mean, I, I will always be a bartender, but like now being a brand ambassador and knowing that I'm working for this brand, it takes me like one second to to screen the back bar and uh, see the bottle of Duce. So... I mean, like, there's definitely like a shift in a uh, conception and perception, like bartenders. That's my mission, basically, to bring to say in bars, because I mean, I've been there, so and I think I believe I know how to speak to bartenders, and like the reason why I'm behind the product is because the product is fantastic. So I just want bartenders to 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 fall in love as I did, and understand, like and judge the the the, the product by by the liquid, you know. Yeah.
0: So I'm going to ask you to put on your bartender hat again for a second, you know, uh, talk a little bit about the history of using cognac as a cocktail ingredient. You know, uh, I've got a tiki bar, and so we love, we just gravitate towards anything that doesn't have rum in it, uh, and don't get me wrong, I'm a rum geek, like, i if I had to drink nothing else the rest of my life, it would just be rum. I've got 400 bottles sitting to my left, and I'm at home, <laughs> you oh, know, wow. <laughs> yeah, but um But, you know, because of that reason, you know, it's just like every cocktail is rum based. So when we see those cool uh, those cool recipes that have a little bit of cognac in them or brandy or something, you know, um, it's definitely been around for a really long time, you know, in different kind of aspects of the bar industry. Although a lot of times we would see that you just kind of listed as brandy, um, Mm -hmm. particularly in the United States, Um, you know, but talk a little bit about the history of using it as an ingredient in
1: drinks. But the thing is that people are I mean, like, when I, when I did syndicate, that was the, the, the main question that like, you're going to make cocktail with Cognac or oh. the thing that we tend to forget even as bartender, like the original recipes, like in, like, uh, you just pick up the Jerry Thomas uh, book, 1862, every time mm-hmm. he's calling for brandy, I can assure you that it's calling for Cognac. And, uh, because that was like the most popular brandy at this time. So Cognac has been part of the, the, the cocktail culture from day one, um, what happened is are you aware about like the phylloxera crisis i
0: am but you know what let's let's cover because i don't think we've ever really talked about it on the show
1: so so cognac was a at the beginning boom. and carries
0: through every single detail for the next four hours now
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah go ahead um, because it is important and honestly it really kind of reset everything for the world as far as uh grapes and and uh production with cognac wine etc so yeah i mean go ahead talk about that a little bit so before we get ahead of ourselves
1: so the thing is that uh cognac was booming in the um, late uh, 90s like, nine how would you say like in the, in the 1850s 1860s
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then in like 1878 um, 80 we got like this phylloxera so phylloxera is a small fly in the that was like biting the roots of the trees of the vine trees in Europe and so this decimated all the vineyards in Europe for like 30 years so interesting is that every bartender knows Sazerac cocktail but the original Sazerac cocktail was made with cognac but like I, I'm, I, I've seen it like in the in the U.S. in anywhere in the world that was that it was made with a rye whiskey but the thing is that if we go to when it was created I mean like after the Philoxera crisis so we couldn't harvest grape for 30 years in in Europe. And so bartender shifted the the cognac to rye. And so that's why we saw Sazerac with rye. But originally Sazerac Mm -hmm. is made with cognac. And the thing is that we got like a scientist that went to California in 1911 and discovered that the phylloxera, the the small fly, wasn't biting the Californian uh, trees. Mm -hmm. So the idea was like to grab those trees and do like um, a a, a greff. Would you say like a mm-hmm. like yeah. blend? Like, so they, they grabbed the Californian tree, put it in the soil, and we're putting the European wine tree in it. So that's how they started back to, uh, to be able to make wines in, uh, in uh, grapes and wines. And so that's funny because like worldwide, France is known as a wine country, but all of this happened because of lobbying. It's like once we found out that we could make wine again, we started to do like a, a big um, propaganda but like don't drink anything above like 20 abv it's harmful and <laughs> so that's and wine is good it's gonna give you like good health so that's why we shifted to drink wine and just like pushing the wines and that's why that's the only reason why now france is known as a wine country but before that we we're making like a ton of different alcohols and cognac was one of the main alcohol we were making and we we're making cocktails with it in france in uh, in the us everywhere so as of today um, the mission is to bring back the cognac and cocktail. And Deuce's mission is to bring back the uh, cognac and cocktail because it has been designed for that. So, so it's not like it's not a whole like discovery of like making cocktail with cognac. It's just bringing back the legitimacy right. to the product,
0: right? And with such an uh, rich history, and I think that's what gets forgotten. You know, people think about um, cognac, and you're, when you're a young drinker, or maybe just uh, just getting into cocktails as a drinker, or even a bartender. Yeah, you forget that there's, you know, 300 plus years of pedigree. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, those early drinks like a Sazerac were, were made with cognac because it was there and available, yeah. particularly with, you know, um, you know, colonization and imperialism. You know, you've, you've got this spirit being spread out because everybody wants to drink what they know, what yeah, they had exactly. what they had at home, you know.
1: And no, uh, a Sazerac was like New Orleans used to be a French colony. So that's right. why they wanted to drink cognac there exactly
0: and you know it's funny how those things have gotten lost to history and you, you were talking about the propaganda i th- think that's funny i didn't know that the, you know they're like oh just drink wine it's uh you know it's it, it's lower abv i was just uh listening to um i'm sorry i was reading uh, michael Pollan's um book uh i don't even remember what book it was i was reading one of his books but uh was talking about uh the apple growing in and the culture of that you know an apple a day keeps the doctor away it's very healthy eat apples they're so healthy that was all part of a public marketing campaign because prior to prohibition everybody was drinking their apples and so Whoa,
1: okay. they wanted to
0: switch the perception that the apple growers didn't want to lose money because with people stopping you know their alcohol consumption they needed to be able to sell the apples so they created this whole campaign of how healthy apples were and uh yeah i had no idea either i thought that was fat oh you know what it was in michael Pollan's uh botany of desire but yeah, it was fascinating. I'm like, yeah, makes sense, I guess, you know, because it was a lot easier to make in colder climates uh, where you couldn't grow <laughs> the grapes. I, I, it's fascinating. I, I had no idea, but makes sense. But it's funny how long that has stayed. Yeah. You know? And you, like you said, you know, we all perceive France as a wine country now, so it worked. You
1: know, but that's the thing. Like before, before 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 this whole financial uh, crisis, we were drinking all type of alcohol. And mm. that's what basically I wanted to bring back when I opened the syndica because like we have this diversity because we've been making alcohol for like the last four, 500 years. So, um, so yeah, I mean, like in France, we- in general,
0: is it's a really big category. And that's one of my, I mean, it's absolutely one of my favorite things to drink uh, across the board, not only cognac. I mean, uh, what now, of course it's experience too, but uh, one of my favorite uh, nights, weeks, I don't know. We were, I was in, um, Alsace in 2017 for the wine fair. Mm.
1: And
0: I, I remember a little bit of it, but I, I do. <laughs> I remember drinking, you know, I, I was just drinking Alsatian Eau de Vie de Frambois uh, because... Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. It, their fruits of Alsace, they're really good.
0: It is. And, you know, um, the raspberries, when distilled, you know, have those uh, kind of hints of an agricole rum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, they I totally they absolutely love rum agricole. And, you know, tasting that... Um, you know it's also the experience of just hanging out in comar and you know uh, <laughs> we live music yeah, my kids. right yeah exactly it's the whole package you have to do it out in there but uh you know it's it's funny because um when you take and i think that this is apparent for anybody that's familiar with cognac or any other um uh, fruit based brandies that when you distill uh you lose a lot of what you started with And you gain so much more, and it it shifts on you so much. You know, like I said, if you like the raspberry, you you start with raspberries, and you end up with something that tastes kind of funky, like rum agricole. It it tastes, Mm -hmm. you know, like it could have come from Guadalupe. And, you know, it's just fascinating that you can get those kinds of flavors out of it. Uh, I had. lychee I think distilled lychee when I was at native in uh, Singapore uh, oh, last nice. year. and so um, you know they're kind of doing these micro distill- distillations and it's just really fascinating kind of what you get after distilling you know the the
1: lighter stuff out of it
0: and, yeah. you know, and obviously that's when you drink a glass of cognac you know
1: oh my gosh this tastes like grapes yeah, <laughs> yeah. no definitely no no you can't <laughs> you cannot really taste the grapes so,
0: so as an educator I mean you wouldn't you have the coolest job in the world. That's why I said you you've got the dream job, right? Like anybody would have left their own bar to do <laughs> this um, because you're not just like when we say brand ambassador, I think a lot of people just think of the local dude that shows up and you wants to put on a party and put up some banners and those sorts of things. But you're working more on education and you're working globally, which is huge. That's so <laughs> there there aren't a lot of these global ambassador jobs, right? <laughs>
1: No, they're not, they're
0: not Ian Burrell probably has the rum one, right? Like he gets to travel everywhere he wants to go for that. But
1: no, Ian got a specific one. He
0: created his own. Yeah, he did. He did. His own. That's amazing. I mean, he's my idol for that. I'm just like, what do you want to be? I want to drink rum and travel. Cool. That's my job now.
1: I love that. <laughs> yeah. And I love this guy. He's a good human being. I love this guy.
0: Yeah, he is, man. He is. But, uh, I mean, you've traveled extensively. So are you targeting, uh, or I guess not you personally, but I mean... Are, Bringing this into countries where uh, there isn't as much of a uh, cognac or brandy culture and um, or even cocktail culture, for that matter. You know, where exactly are you traveling to and how's it going in there?
1: So obviously, last year I haven't traveled at all. Sure.
0: Right? Yeah. But right. The,
1: the, the prior year I was like mostly like uh, spending my time in the US, and for me to get around and to understand what is the how is the market working here, and I did a trip in Africa where I went to Nigeria and South Africa. Oh. That was fantastic. That was phenomenal. Africa was amazing. So we are uh, looking at uh, opening more markets in uh, in Africa, um, but after the thing is like, it, it, it is, it is something that you really have to think about when you're brand like a cognac brand, when you want to expand is because like the juice, the juice is nothing like you cannot make because like our entry is a VSOP, which means that the youngest of the has spend a minimum of four years in a barrel. Mm-hmm. So you get to calculate your, your, your volume before like, going to a, to a country, you know, like, because like, if you open there and you cannot like uh, give the product because you don't have enough.
0: So mm-hmm. that
1: there's like there's a, a balance to do, but like yeah, we're definitely looking at some countries in Africa. Uh, we have a small presence in Australia. Uh, hopefully, we extend this later on. And uh, and I mean, like I I do believe like the end goal, of course, is global, but like proper global. Sure. Yeah, that, I,
0: I didn't think about that, but yeah, that's g- got to be tough because you know if you're Diageo, that's you know distilling whatever. Bacardi, or or I don't even know what I'm talking about, but I'm th- just thinking of like these massive multi-column still, you know, uh, distilleries in like the Virgin Islands and in, in Puerto Rico and stuff. And like, yeah, if you need a new distillery, you just build one. But mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot more difficult when you are really you're relegated to the you know all of the mandates and restrictions to be able to put cognac on the bottle to be able to put, you know, Grand Champagne or Petit Champagne on the bottle or to put VSOP on the bottle. Like, yeah, yeah. That, that's definitely a limiting factor.
1: It is, like, because like we are limited. I mean, the whole Cognac category is limited by the, the vineyard. You know, the vineyards yeah. provide X amount of grapes every year. So from this grape, you're going to turn it into wine and then you distinct this other V. And then for this one to get another V that will age for a minimum of four years. So mm-hmm. in terms of like forecasting is like, you know it's not like a, a clear spirit that you just take whatever, you put it there, right. and you distill right. it and it's done. and the thing is like everything has to come from the region, so we were really eliminated. So the uh, trips to Africa, I'm
0: really fascinated by this. So how's the cocktail scene in like South Africa and you said Nigeria you were
1: in? Nigeria, South Africa. South Africa, the, the cocktail scene is uh, is growing growing fast. I mean like the, I went to some really cool cool cocktail bar uh, Nigeria, it's still, uh, in development, mm-hmm. uh, I guess like all like Western Africa, they're still, um, they, they, are really, really, uh, eager to learn and to, uh, and to, to embrace this cocktail culture, but, uh, but they're still, I wouldn't say behind, but, uh, but they see some development to do there. Sure. Yeah, sure. Exactly. I mean, and we see that every time you travel anywhere.
0: You know, you get your first speakeasy, and then and then it grows from there. No,
1: so, you know,
0: as far as the development of the day, I know we've talked about it a lot, but I mean, what was it like the thought process in the beginning, um, you know, to make this jump into a new product? Because that's a big decision to put something onto the market that hasn't been there for 200 years, um, because you are going to be fighting an uphill battle, a lot of judgment, uh, you know, all the liquor reviewers, everybody's going to want to taste it and judge it, especially you know, kind of the old school spirit writers that uh, already have an idea in their head that it can't possibly be good because it's not, you know, it doesn't have the pedigree of 150 years of, of uh,
1: family recipe being passed down. But the thing is like the, so I wasn't there at the beginning of the brand. So I don't really know sure, like, sure. The, the exact like a uh, discussion that, that happened, but the thing is like, uh, so Chateau de Cognac, again, I was saying like, it's a beautiful castle with the feet in the Charente River. Mm-hmm. in the middle of Cognac. And, uh, and this castle has been bought in 1796. It's like a thousand-year-old castle like, with, like, with three-meter-wide walls. And, um, and this castle has been bought in 1795 for only one purpose, to age Cognac. So Jean-Baptiste Otta was a, a wine merchant that was interested into like, the, the Cognac trend that was emerging at this time. And, uh, and he found out that because of the proximity of the water and the thickness of the wall, he had like two types of cellars. So humid and dry cellars, as I was telling you earlier. And mm-hmm. uh, that's the reason why he bought this castle and they created the Cognac Baron Hotard. So Baron Hotard has been created, has been made there since 1795. And this is a brand that belongs to the Bacardi portfolio. Mm-hmm. So at one point, there was a discussion between like Jay-Z and Rock Nation and Bacardi that uh, Bacardi wanted to, to create like a, a Cognac that was uh, dedicated for the US market because they could see at this time that uh, Cognac was really... Uh, booming in the US, uh, especially in the Afro-American um, community. And uh, and Jay-Z was like, I want to be involved in Cognac. And so there was this like, man-to-man or man-to-woman, I don't know, like discussion <laughs> where he flew to to France, the Chateau de Cognac and Michel presented him like different uh, sample. And uh, until they, they agreed on one specific sample, they couldn't move forward. And so that's how the, the, the brand got created. So we use the knowledge we have for the last 200 years, because like we've been making traditional uh, high-end cognac for like the last 200 years. So we know how to make a traditional cognac, which was like the whole idea of like Michel was like, I know how to make a sipping cognac because I've been making this for the last 20 years. But I wanna wanna make a cognac that is enjoyed for the way we drink today, so which is uh, cocktails. So the whole idea, that's why we skip the VS and go straight to the VSOP. So we have, like, four years at least. We've got, like, four to seven years of um, olive inside the blend. But we wanted to have, like, those characteristics that any cognac drinker would appreciate and will enjoy sipping. And we can, like, easily mix it with anything. It can be – I mean, like, like right now I'm drinking by itself. But, like, juicy and ginger, juicy and lemonade, juicy and soda water, that's something super easy. But then after you want to make cocktails, you go like, on a – do right. say do say do say uh, dot com and you have like heaps of uh, cocktails made with Juicy say and you can really see the versatility so it is really welcome uh i love the fact that uh, many cognac drinkers tend to be curious and uh, agree on changing their um, their i would say like their habits and every single time they they try do say do say say always work because like the things have you tried you say before i have mm mm-hmm. Okay. What, what are you thought? I mean, like we can be, I know no, it's great. Be, I mean,
0: I absolutely do love the product. And, you know, I was going to ask, I needed a reminder on what the proof was on it. and Cause that's something I always find that, you know, you mentioned um, developing a product uh, that is for a cocktail versus sipping. And that's one thing that I think that um, I kind of personally look for um, when I'm putting something into a cocktail, especially because of my, uh, obsession with tiki drinks. You know, you've got so many competing flavors. You really have to have something that's got a little bit more of a sharper edge to it, you know, to be able to cut through that. Um, something very soft and, you know, oftentimes stuff at, at 40% can disappear into it unless you bol- bolster it with another liquor. But, you know, also, like you said, with a little bit more age on it, it, it really brings things it's like the salt, right? That, you know, when you're putting that into a cocktail, that can oftentimes be the bridge in between, those uh those juices, or maybe some uh, bitter tannic note that you're getting out of a, a fruit, and, and connecting that over to the spirit, and you know that's I I do find that there are oftentimes, um, I guess a different way that producers will go about you know marketing something that or producing something that goes uh, into a cocktail or intended for a cocktail uh, versus something that's supposed to be on the shelf and you know. D- don't do anything with it or we're going to yell at you. And, you know, and this is Cognac does fit into a nice place where, like you said, it's great to drink on its own, but it does have like that body to be able to stand up to a cocktail and even and like a tiki
1: drink with like, you know, passion fruit or something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that I observed with you say is that we, because like we were creating something new, we had the, the, the freedom of doing whatever we wanted. And so we really wanted to do like a product that fits uh, how we drink. And, um, and yeah, I mean, as you say, like we, VSOP, you have like at least four years, so you have like a good complexity. And again, I invite everybody that's listening to us to, to pair with anything. It's after it's all about balance. Mm-hmm. It's right. when it comes to cocktail, it's always about balance. You can mix everything together when you balance it well.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've been working in this industry, you know, for 27 years now, and I was a uh, manager of a bar in the mid to late nineties. And yeah, we had i mean that was it there was nothing else and now um at the inferno room or, or tiki bar i mean we can't even put all of the cognacs on the shelf that we want oh wow <laughs> Because they're just so beautiful and there's so many different expressions of terroir and all these uh you know uh different production methods i mean within obviously the uh, framework of cognac but it, you can only put on the bar so much and yeah i just
1: remember at i love, at a time, I love to hear that
0: yeah you know you could only get one right and so that's why i was really curious about you know a syndicate like how that was received by everyone because you know it was a time um you know you the cocktail craze was moving everybody was really thirsty for knowledge and just you couldn't you couldn't give them new things fast enough you know and uh you know it's really i love where we are now because you know like i said that i have so much rum over here to my left and and 10 years ago in, in indianapolis where i am uh i bought for one of my other restaurants um every good rum that was available in the market um now where i say good i mean like sipping rums you know stuff that wasn't going to go into a cocktail and i think that that list totaled eight
1: and wow. i bought them all
0: and you know now because that that has expanded out so much and i really do think that uh thanks to folks like you that are doing the work you know your whole job is to go out and make sure people understand why it's being done what to do with it once it's in the bottle you know once you have it in your hands and because you know, you can make really great and tasty, beautiful things, but if uh, people don't know what to do with it, then it sits on the shelf and you don't ever sell another bottle as far as business is concerned. And then on their end of it, they don't ever get to try new things.
1: Yeah, totally. But you know, like the funny thing is that we we have this um, this program that we used to do uh, pre-COVID. Uh, hopefully it's going to come back uh, ASAP. It was called Don Noir, which means like in the dark. Mm-hmm. So we do like consumer facing and uh, trade facing. So when we do like trade facing, we put like, Five different uh, cognacs, mm-hmm. all VSOP from like you say, and competitors. So at the, at the beginning of the, the activation, they, I invite them. So I do like a bit of a cognac knowledge one on one so they can understand the category. Then they smell like different aromatics on the table, like some coffee beans, some dark chocolate, apricot, anything that you can like pick in the cognac notes. And then we put them a blindfold and we hand them each glass one by one so they can smell they can taste and by like re, uh, taking off one sense the other senses are completely more developed the right. smell and the taste and so the whole purpose of this journey is not to say like this is the best it is to say connect is a category and from one connect to another there's differentiation so you shouldn't have only one connect on your back bar after mm-hmm. at the end if you believe that this is the best I mean I'm happy. And you only need one you only need one.
0: <laughs> you can have that one be your your major go-to. Well, you know, it is, but you, by trying, you know, uh, kind of a, a horizontal, I guess, if you will, of different cognacs, I mean, that's where you kind of get the baseline and you can start to see uh, what the regulations, how that translates into the bottle, um, you know, by by looking at the similarities. And then, the, like you said, the differences will stand out, especially with one of your senses being yeah. taken away from you. Uh, it's, it's really fascinating. I, I just, um, I'm always really interested when I see such an old uh, producer jump in with a new product because you don't see it all that often and they have a reputation that you know they have to uphold you can't uh you can't flop especially after 200 years
1: yeah but you know like I mean like Michel was uh was sure of his move I mean like he yeah, he, was, yeah. like, he felt confident in uh and again I mean like his confidence like pays off like fastest mm-hmm. fastest growing VSOP in the category so Obviously, his skills pays off.
0: Yeah, it's it's really fun, man. And so you actually, we've talked about France a lot, uh, but you're living in New York now. Uh, now, married, uh, kid, you got a you got a youngin now. Yeah, that's been a um. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess New York's been a little uh, a little strange to be living in in the last year. or So I, I talk regularly with my New York friends, and um, it's been tough. I mean, has everybody been okay with you and your family?
1: Yeah, everybody has been okay. I mean, like we—I gotta say, like COVID was a hard to take for everybody. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, I'm I'm looking at the bright side of it, like because there's always a bright side in the story. And like, I mean, my job is to travel and to meet people and to uh, to basically never be home. And I got to stay like a full year oh, at yeah. home in New York with my uh, beautiful daughter. She's 17 months now, so I guess oh, wow. like the whole the whole first year I got to to stay with her. And my wife, so I cannot complain. I mean, like, that was the silver lining of uh, the whole year last year. So family is great. Uh, enjoying the life in New York, thankfully. I mean, like, obviously, right now, everything is reopening. So we will be able to, to embrace this uh, a proper summer in New York, especially now that New York is full of terraces.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> Right. I mean, like, this is, like, that was something I missed in my very first uh, summer in the U.S., because yeah. I come from Europe and Paris, especially, so we have like the culture of terraces, yeah, you know, yeah. that like you just sit and enjoy the sun and drink whatever, but like we're mm-hmm. outside, and uh, that was something I was missing in the in, in New York, actually in the US, because there's not a lot of terraces in the in no, the US. There,
0: there aren't, and, and that's something that, yeah, when we when I go to Europe and come back, you know, just oh, I miss it. In fact, right. you know, um. I've got a, this kind of nice little courtyard in my home that was specifically designed just from missing Italy, you know. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you know, in cool. or, or Paris even, you know. I haven't got to spend as much time in France or in Paris in particular. Um I was hoping to go back last year, but that didn't work. Yeah. Hopefully Never, this, didn't this get to go anywhere last year. I was hoping to go back to Martinique as well. You know, you, you were talking about the uh tasting and, and you know, uh putting all the aromatics on the table for doing your your coct- or Cognac 101. Have you ever been to uh, Rum Jame? Yeah,
1: uh,
0: i So been, their new tasting room, it's got all the strings over like the aromatic. Uh, they, it's like a red painted room, but they've got these uh, kind of ar- aroma stations where you like, it heats up, whatever, like cocoa or it'll heat up. And so, and then up above that, they have strings that go over to the bottles where you would is, get those tasting notes. It's really clever. Is
1: it like the room just before the shop? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, 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 exactly.
0: I was just like, we were walking out the first time I was, you know, went over there. In I was, I think I was with Jim Romdel, and we looked up and we saw the strings. We're like, oh shit! I think those are ah, that's smart. <laughs> you know, <laughs>
1: well, I gotta say, one of the most beautiful strings uh, I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it doesn't hurt that you're in Martinique at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Again, it's a package thing. It is. It really is. It's the package. So, you know, as we wind down today, where can people find, uh, well, uh, is there like a recommended source for purchasing say Cognac if it's not available in your market? Is there a retailer, an online retailer that you work specifically with in New York? Um, because I know that with COVID, that's been a real issue. Uh, we haven't seen spirits necessarily being stocked. In a lot of uh, you know of our packaged liquor stores, especially in some of the smaller markets, because inventory is something no one wants to have at the moment.
1: Yeah, no. The thing is, like that was that was a year that uh, all the liquor stores didn't really plan on COVID, so they didn't order as right. had to cover this. So I mean, like many many uh, companies and spirits uh, mm-hmm. uh, faced a shortage at one point because mm-hmm. of this uh, because nobody could plan uh, COVID. So as of today, I mean, like, for, for Ducey, it really depends the state. Um, you can order it online. I mean, like, hopefully, like, it's uh, in uh, many of the your liquor stores. Sure. Mm-hmm. In, in, the, in, in New York, I can find it in liquor stores. I can find it, like, on a uh, Drizzly or I think maybe, like, Reserve Bar. Cool. But, uh, but, yeah, I would say, like, look around. I mean, like, wherever you buy your booze, most of the time, you should be able to find the Ducey.
0: And if you can't find it in your local store, ask them for it. Um, because how yeah, yeah. things end up in your liquor store when they get enough requests they will reach out to an importer um so where can the brand be found online and uh any social media presence anything like that
1: so we do have the Duce cognac uh, instagram accounts where you could see like uh, everything that's happening for the brand you can actually see that we released uh, we're about to release in june like a really really limited edition uh the 1969 anniversary that we created for jay-z's 50th birthday 100 percent grand champagne aged in one damn, right. 50? damn it's 51 now
0: yeah right i was like this is 2021 yeah
1: yeah wow yeah. we're all getting old even jay-z Right, yeah. Uh, everybody, <laughs> everybody get old, right? I mean, it's it's good to be I, you know. I saw like
0: a Dr. Dre put a, like on Instagram yesterday, like yeah, his like, abs. Yeah, right, his abs, and he's complaining about getting fat. Like, come on, man, I'm younger than you. I got more than that. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. <laughs> but yeah, when he said fifty, I was like, shit. Yeah, like, Dr. Dre's fifty. Also, like, God damn, we're all getting
1: old. They're all getting old. I mean, like, as long as they're getting old, they live. Right, right. Yeah, that's know. right that live well um, and, and so yes do you see do connect social uh social on instagram uh we got a um a website duce.com, where you can find like some uh different uh recipes and uh there are quite a few recipes, recipes. yeah yeah I, mean, I feel like 50 maybe mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. You know? yeah. And, is uh, that you? And you is cocktail,
0: that and, you, uh, or is there a team putting together those
1: uh, drinks? There, 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 was some. Uh, There's a good part that was made before me, and I did add my uh, my uh, cocktails on, in the list. The Very thing, cool. It Doesn't say so. You can just like take any cocktail and enjoy it. But uh, but yeah, I mean, like you have all the information there, and uh, and I mean like, you can hit me up at Sullivan on Instagram as well. I'll be happy to answer all your corner question. But um, We're going to keep you busy. <laughs> keep me busy, keep me busy. I'm here for that, you know?
0: Right, yeah. And so, I mean, since a large part of your job is traveling, um, you know, has that, has that really kind of shifted the way you're doing your job um, over the last year? I mean, you're, you're still employed, so you've obviously made it happen over the last year.
1: Yeah, so what was interesting last year was that uh, obviously I'm more like on the field and uh, connect with people and mm-hmm. connect with people. And like, because of last year, Thank God, I kept my job, and I and I had a job uh, without uh, any worry. But uh, we shifted my um, my KPIs, my uh, my work through more like marketing, uh, mm-hmm. marketing cool. uh, purposes. So I was like at the beginning of like uh, how to create a program, how to like what is the what do we want to do in this market. So being like really like part of the marketing team more than the commercial team. So for me, it was really interesting to see like this this uh side of the the business because the whole business for me is new because i i'm about in the profession so the whole brand ambassador thing is completely new so field and marketing is super interesting for me
0: well i do find it fascinating that you know the path that you took to get there and it really brings a lot to the brand as well like you said um you didn't know a lot about all these things uh coming at it from a bar owner but you certainly bring a lot to the table from being a bar owner and that's something that uh you know uh, a lot of brands don't have the benefit of, of bringing somebody in with your vast experience and enthusiasm for education. And so it, it shows um, anybody that's met you, you know, knows your you're great personality and, and lots of smiles and fun, man. I appreciate you coming on the show today. Um, you know, we're going to point some people in your direction and uh, we're going to drink some cognac with you, man. <laughs> Hopefully all this ends soon and we can actually drink it with you. Like oh when man, you- I kind of wait for that the next time you're on the show and we definitely should have you come back on you know in the in the future and let's let's dive into floxford because you're right i haven't covered it before so
1: all uh, the it, way and i bring some liquid so we can sip and enjoy and like have a good time but like thank you for this time i had a great time and i cannot wait to see you what? Yourself, brother. we'll
0: see you soon cheers <laughs>